Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Tuesday we had a members meeting and that members meeting we filled you in on a couple of quick things of what was happening this week. So I wanted before we get into the Word to bring a little update. Uh, we said on Tuesday that you guys know we're planning a church in Tolobethal and that's very exciting. Uh, and God's really doing some great things there, seeing momentum swell there. It's very, very exciting. And on Tuesday, there was going to be a meeting of the Lobethal Primary School Governing Council to decide whether or not we could be in that building at about 9.01 on Wednesday morning. I sent Lobethal uh, principal an email to say, what's going on? And she said, we didn't have a quorum due to COVID, so the meeting's been postponed, which is just classic. Uh, so they'll, post, they'll tell us when that's postponed. So that's something that we're gonna, we'll pray into and just when the Lord's ready and His time's ready, but we're really hopeful for that. The other thing we, as you know, we put an offering on a block of land. Baptist Churches of South Australia put an offering on a block of land um, in Newnham. And we've been praying about that. And that's also really exciting. So we have a, a meeting, uh, myself and a few of the other guys have a meeting on Wednesday this week at three o'clock with the uh, Newnham Brass, with the, the big wigs, their board, and just basically to share the vision of what it is we want to do, trusting and believing that in hearing that, they'll say, yes, we're going to sell you this block of land. So that is uh, something to please keep in your prayers as well. In fact, why don't we do that now? While well, some parents are coming back in from kids, why don't we take a moment to pray? So stand to your feet. And let's just bring this stuff before the Lord. Father God, we thank you that you are a good God and we thank you that every good thing comes from you above. And you know what you're doing. And so we surrender this whole thing to you. We surrender our future to you. Lord, we thank you that you're in the business of growing a people uh, and you're the one who provides the resources that we need to fulfil the call that you've laid out before us. And so Lord, we wanna be in your will. We're gonna knock on doors and we ask that you'd open the right doors at the right time and you'd shut the wrong doors at the right time. And Lord, that you would simply just make a way and sometimes where there can seem to be no way, we know that you are the God of the miraculous. So we lay our future before you and we thank you that you have us in the palm of your hand and we have great hope in that. You are the God who uh, fulfills His promise to His people. So we surrender our future and we give you this in the precious name of Jesus and all God's children said, Amen. Awesome, you can be seated. We're in a series in the book of Joshua uh, talking about choose this day, talking about this idea that he sets up memorials of remembrance uh, and then says, choose, choose what you're gonna do. Choose how you're gonna live, how you're gonna walk in this. Today we come to a phenomenal passage of Scripture from Joshua 3 and 4. I realise every week I say it's phenomenal, but this truly is, I'm so excited about what God has put upon my heart for this community this morning. Uh, and I want to just begin very, very quickly uh, saying that if you're at the members meeting on Tuesday, I said, I'm giving you a sneak peek. And so if you're at the members meeting, you've had a little sneak peek, but like I said, you still had to come to church because I didn't give you the whole thing. Uh, and so 
Can I encourage everyone this morning, as every morning, to lean in to a preach? It is always one, it's easy to, to, to preach when you've got a people who are leaning in and actually wanting to, to gain and to learn and to glean of what God is doing. But two, as someone who is hungry, it's always better when you're engaged. Like when we sit there and if we're prepared to take notes, if we're prepared to talk back and these sorts of things, I guarantee you, you'll get more. When I was a kid, I used to hate Sunday school with all of my heart. I never, ever, ever wanted to go to Sunday school. And I would just, Dad would say, like, go to Sunday school. I'm like, no, I hate it. And I remember Dad once said to me, he goes, David, you will get out of it what you're prepared to put into it. Amen? That is a phrase that has stuck with me my entire life. He had another phrase, because I used to say it's so boring. He'd say, there's no such thing as boredom. He'd say, it's just engagement. And you choose to engage. So choose to lean in. You get out of it what you put in. So let's be a people who lean into the Word, who lean into worship, who lean into fellowship, who get out of something what we're prepared to put into it. That is when we will glean off of what God has done. That's just my little segue as we get into the Word, okay? So Joshua chapter 3. Starting from verse one, we'll read a few verses. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out, you remember this one from Shittim, that long eye that we talked about last week, and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. I am excited that the Lord is in the business of leading people places where they haven't been before. And I believe God is leading us as a church community somewhere where we have not been before. I believe He's got a word for you in your individual life when He wants to pick you up and He wants to take you to a place that you have not been before. God is a good God and He is building His kingdom. And so He's saying, hey, 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 I'm about to do something. And there's a few things that I'm calling you to do in response. You with me? Amen. Lord, bless your word, we pray in Jesus' name. When I, was a, um, when I was a teacher, we used to run this camp called Peer Support Camp for our year 10s. And our year 11s ran this program. Some of you are in education, know what I'm talking about, peer support. It's like a leadership development program. You run it in year 11. And so students basically spend year 10 trying to get into this course. It's sort of like, I think we had about 40 students who had the privilege of becoming peer support leaders. And what they would do is spend the year, instead of doing uh, what we would do philosophy and Christian studies, which I thought was actually a way better course because we got to talk philosophy and it was fantastic. But instead of doing that, they would work with a group of year eight students and they would uh, do like team building. They would, you know, relationship dynamics, leadership development, all this sort of stuff. And so we would build this course up. We would make it a big deal that, if you're a year 10 student and you've got this year ahead of you, looking forward to year 11, you really wanna get in to the peer support program. And halfway through the year, we ran a peer support camp. And that was kind of the moment where as a year 10 student, it was, 
you know, you were, you were laying it out there. You were trying to prove that you were worthy of this course. And then we would select, we were to tell them we were selecting out of the camp. The reality is you already kind of knew who was going to go in because you don't just make a decision like that based on one week. You make it based on three years of education. Anyway, they didn't know that. So we'd build this up, that this camp was super important and it was all about investment. It was all about engagement. It was all about leadership. And that's what we were looking for. And so students would rock up uh, and it would be at Woodhouse. Everyone knows the Woodhouse Adventure Centre. So they'd all come, we'd get them in this room uh, and you know the old buildings. Anyone remember the old building at Woodhouse? That's one of the scariest buildings you've ever been in your entire life. Anybody? It's this like old, it's one of those buildings that has those pictures on the wall that were, I don't know if they're photos or drawings, but they're fully deadpan and really frightening. It's like a haunted house. Anyway, so all these students would come in and the very first thing we would do is say, do the leadership blurb. We'd talk about how significant this week ahead was and that it's full of tests. And we want them to be able to pass the tests and prove their medal, like really building it up. We'd say, now the first test is a test of leadership because leadership is about communication. And communication isn't just about what you say, it's understanding how you say things. It's understanding language and the way language is put together. And we'd say, so the very first test today, and you've got 10 minutes to get it right, is you need to figure out what dorm you are in. And then they would walk upstairs and upstairs there were two signs that sat on different doors. Not both signs on the one door. One door would have one sign, another door would have the other sign and this is what those signs were. So one side, for those of you who didn't have your glasses on, says boys, no girls. The other sign says boys, no girls. <laughs> Seeing a bunch of 15-year-old students freaking out, thinking that their entire future rests upon trying to solve this riddle is one of the funniest things you have ever had the privilege of doing. Does anybody here have children and love messing with their minds? Some people call it teasing, other people call it development. I, I wish I could pick you up and take you into the room as we would stand there and you would see 150 year 10 students staring at the doors freaking out and you'd have the bright ones who straight away read that and go well that's pretty straightforward that's a boys dorm and that's a girls dorm and they'd stand there and they'd be like this is where we're going and then you'd have those who were really loud but perhaps not so bright and they'd be like no no this is the boys dorm and someone would be like no I don't think that is the boys dorm notice it has a full stop and then it says you know well this one it's got a question mark and it says no like boys question no girls and they, oh, it was just hilarious. So they'd be freaking out. They'd all be struggling. They'd eventually after 10 minutes, the bright ones, knowing that their entire future rested on this decision, would sort of put their foot down and they'd find their way. We'd come down and we'd encourage them and say, yeah, then we'd have a conversation about language and how language isn't just words. And sometimes uh, it's, it's not just what we say, but it's how we say it. It's body language. It's, you can't just be in front of a bunch of people and just say the right thing, but your body language is over here. Are you with me? 
So we talk about the power of language. Friends, if it's true in the English language, it's very true in Scripture as well, isn't it? That we have to understand that we read stuff, but it's not just the words that are on the page, it's often how the words are constructed that is what gives it meaning. In the same way as I could stand here in front of Dan and say, Dan, I like you. My body language is probably not expressing that that's a true reality. Like language meaning is more than just words. I do love Dan, he's a wonderful man. But the, we've got to understand there's depth to, to what is put in here. And so can we go, as we begin Joshua 3 and 4, can we go to Bible college for two minutes? Is that all right? Can we nerd out together for a second? We'll just nerd out for a bit. We'll go to Bible college and then we'll, we'll make it real practical. But you can't read Joshua 3 without reading Joshua 4. The two go hand in hand. Now, all of you who are at the members meeting, when we read Joshua 3 and 4, we have to understand it's not just what is written, it is how it is written. And Joshua 3 and 4 are written in what we called a chiastic, everyone say chiastic, structure. It is a chiasm. What the heck is that, Dave? A chiasm is a repeating pattern that emphasises meaning. What do I mean by that? Let's put this up because it's going to be, oh, we're already there. Look at that. Go you. So here's what we have. When you read Joshua 3 and 4 together, it begins Israel on the east of the Jordan. Let's call that A. What it will then go to is Yahweh promising. So Yahweh being the God of Israel, He promises to exalt Joshua and the priests step into the Jordan. Let's call that B. Then it says the priests stand in the Jordan, the people go in and through. All right, we're calling that C. D, it is this story of 12 memorial stones where the people come in. Joshua says, we're gonna get 12 big stones out of the centre of the Jordan and you're gonna build a memorial to the Lord. Then if you keep reading, what you realise is that the priests stand and the people go in and through the Jordan. What does that remind you of? What we just read, see. And then what you'll go to is that Joshua doesn't just promise to exalt, uh, God doesn't just promise to exalt Joshua, he does exalt Joshua. And the priests exit the Jordan, which is a repeating pattern of B. And then we finish with the people in the west of the Jordan. A. So it's A, B, C, D, C, B, A. How are we going? How good. That's called a chiasm. Everyone say chiasm. You'll see this all through Scripture now. You start reading stuff and it, there's these repeating patterns. Yeah? And whenever you see a repeating pattern, it means that the author wants you to go, it's like, this is important. Yeah? And sometimes there'll be one thing in the centre and sometimes it'll be like A, B, B, A. And they're saying, hey, focus, this whole thing is significant. But when you see one like this, literally like an arrow, it's saying, hey, the emphasis of this text, the most important thing that you need to grasp is this memorial stone. Everything is pointing to the memorial stones that God told Joshua to gather and build a memorial. Now, why is that important? What's it all about? To understand that, we have to go to the end of chapter four. So open up your Bibles, Go to the end of chapter four. What do the stones mean? What is this passage about? What is God trying to say? Chapter four, 
verse 19, on the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Listen to this, tell them. What do the stones mean? Why did we build the stones? Why did we even cross the Jordan? What's this whole thing about? Tell them this, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Everyone say dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan. Not you, not your sister, not your mother's brother. The Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what He had done to the Red Sea when He dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this. Why did He do it? He did this so that all, everyone say all. All the peoples of the earth. Is this just for Israel? Is this just for Israel? He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you, the people of Israel, might always fear the Lord your God. Chapter three and four is all about that the entire world would know that the Lord God is powerful, that He is the one who establishes and uproots kingdoms. He is the one who enables properties to be built and properties to be torn down. He is the one who enables church communities to grow up in Him and for church communities to scatter. The Lord God is the one who builds His church. The Lord God is the one who establishes His kingdom. The Lord God is the one who gives life and takes, He is Lord of all. And He is powerful and He wants the whole world to know that. So He raises up a nation. But more than that, He wants that nation, He wants that people, He wants the church in our context to fear Him, to have reverent awe for Him. That yes, He is a loving God. We love Him. He is our Father. He is our Bridegroom. He is all of those things, but He is a consuming fire. He is a mighty, mighty God and we should never underestimate His power and His might and therefore be overawed by His love and His mercy. Because when we understand how powerful He is and how majestic He is and yet still He comes to us as a loving Father, as a a Saviour, the response is, wow. Not, yeah, thanks, mate. I'm going to put my Jesus is my homeboy T-shirt on. There's a sense of awe and honour and reverence. That's what this is all about. That's what the crossing over is all about. That's why God does stuff is that we might love Him and fear Him and that the world might know who He is. Great Dave, sermon over, fantastic. Thanks heaps. But there's a little bit more to it. Because if God's the one who builds His church, if when we look at these, 
the 12 stones they took from the centre of the Jordan and they built as a memorial so generations could look back on. Yes, they, they saw that the Lord dried up the Jordan. They walked through it. They saw that. But there's a little bit more to the story because when you tell a story, you don't just tell the end. Anyone with me? Like what makes the fullness of the story is all the detail in the story. And I reckon the Jewish people told a great story. I reckon no detail was spared. I think as their children said, hey, mum and dad, what are these stones all about? I think they said, ah, come here. Let me tell you a tale. And I don't think they just said, oh, that's so that we would fear the Lord our God and so the people of the earth would know they're powerful. Now, what's for dinner? I think they sat down and said, hey, 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 let me tell you something. And that's what I wanna pick up on today, particularly for us as Hills Baptists, as we look forward to all that God is about to do. And we know that one day we're gonna stand in a building that's not a school gym with the beautiful hum of warehouse heaters heating a room. (laughs) And we will not be able to say, look what we did. And we would be very careful that we would never, ever say that. That's what Moses warned the Israelites in the book of Deuteronomy, where he said, be careful not to forget the Lord your God. Or you will look at all of these things, you say, look what my hands have done. May we never, ever, ever be that. May we be a people who remember. And the very thing that God will build and establish will be a memorial. But there's a journey for us as we approach that. And that's what I wanna pick up on this morning as we come to that. So let's let's. Dive back into that. What's the story? What is God calling us to in this season of waiting? Because here we have Israel led out from that place with the long eye to the Jordan and they camped there for three days. Now the Jordan is in flood season. So what do we need to know about the Jordan in flood season? We need to know that it's it's about 1.6 kilometres wide. At its deepest in flood season, it's about 12 metres deep. So it's not like a river that you go, well, I reckon I could swim 1,500 metres. I reckon I could get across that. And the spies seem to have done that, you know, last sermon. So it's probably, if you're strong and you're a capable swimmer, yeah, the torrent would be gushing, but it's, it's not like, wow, there's no, we don't have any hope. But the reality is when you're sitting there, uh, as a, as a culture where you've left your camp and you've got your children and you've got your grandchildren and you've got your, your brother's children and you've got your livestock, it is an insurmountable barrier. Like we've got an entire nation, millions of people who have to cross this thing and it's flood season. It is an insurmountable, impossible obstacle that we simply cannot pass. And then when you understand the significance of what water is in the Jewish culture, understanding even baptism for us later on as a part of that, what water symbolises, this whole idea of the murky waters and death and the lack of order and, and chaos that water is this giant that we can't beat, that only God can move the waters, that water is what leads to our death. And here they are, camped three days by the Jordan. 
It's like God said, I'm just gonna bring you here and you're gonna sit here just long enough to realise this is something you can't do. You can sleep next to this thing. You can sit there with your arms crossed. You know, you get all the brains trussed together and then you picture Joshua and his dudes just standing there, just being like, right, how are we gonna do this, boys? And then a few other people walk up and go, oh, I reckon if we could, look, those trees over there, we could cut them down. We could build a raft. We could probably build an ark, potentially, if we have enough time, we could get everyone. Like everyone's got their strategy. And at the end of the three days, they're like, nah, we're stuffed. (laughs) We can't get through this. We're in a whole lot of trouble. What do we do? And God's like, yes, now I've got you where I want you. Now I've got you where I want you. Because when we understand that we're not the ones who can part the water, only God can, it enables us to realise the Lord our God is powerful, not us. And it causes us to revere and fear Him. And to say, well, God, you're the only one who can make this happen. So we're gonna lean into you. And here's what He says. After three days, as the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. But keeping a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark, do not go near it. Here's the first thing that God calls Israel to have. He calls them to have long vision. He says, the Ark of the Covenant is gonna be 2,000 cubits is about 900 metres, almost a kilometre. So what you're gonna do is you're gonna get out of your tents and the Ark is gonna go. Now, what is the Ark symbolised? The Ark symbolises the very presence of God. In the Ark are the tablets, the Ten Commandments, the budding staff of Aaron and the manna. You could say that in the ark is the way, the truth and the life. Come on, somebody. The way, the Word, this is how we're gonna do it. The truth, the people came against Aaron and Moses and he said, whatever the the staff buds, they're my people. And so it showed them that what is truth, who is truth and life, manner, what sustained them for 40 years, the way, the truth and the life. This is where Joshua is that new covenant picture and Moses is the old covenant picture. Oh, I feel like preaching this morning. (laughs) The way, the truth and the life goes before them and at a distance. Why the distance? Why 2000 cubits? Why 900 metres? Why not? Why can't we all just go together? Because you've got over a million people standing by a riverbed who are thinking this is impossible. And sometimes in order to see clearly, something has to go well before you. It's perspective. And by the ark being way out in front, it meant the entire nation could posture towards the presence. And so they came out of their tents And every single one of them could see the ark out in front. It's a picture of you go before us, Lord. We'll never be able to mistake that I'm the one who dipped my foot in the water first. We'll never be able to mistake the fact that actually I was right there with God and it was probably me. No, it's very clear. The presence goes before us. 
And it's very clear that all the people had to get out of their tent and watch. Now, here's the thing for us. We have to be very careful as a church because we're so busy sometimes tending to our tents, we forget that we were created for a tabernacle. The presence of God, we were created to look upon the tabernacle, to set our eyes upon the tabernacle. That's why Paul always says, fix your eyes on Jesus, fix your eyes on the way, the truth and the life. Fix your eyes on who He is. Get your focus right, because when our focus is on Him, we understand that He is the one who moves and does miracles. And if our focus is always inside our tent, we will miss what God is doing. So He says, get out. Look, the ark's going first because I'm going to lead you somewhere you've never gone before. We can't follow if we're always looking at our own stuff. But when we allow Him to go before us, when we set our eyes on Him and He leads us, then we actually have some way we can posture ourselves towards Him and we can go in obedience. We need long vision. Look beyond our own circumstance. Even talking about this property stuff that we've got coming up, someone said to me the other day, they wanted all the detail on how we're gonna do it. And I was sort of frantically planning, stressing, going, jeepers, this is probably gonna cost a bit of money. And this is a really big project. I'm a little bit frightened and scared about it. And in prayer, I felt like the Lord said, exactly. Exactly. That's the point, Dave. If you can sit there and bring a detailed proposal about how every cent is gonna be accounted for, then you can do it. And that's not what I'm doing here. I want you to be able to stand before a group of people and say, I don't know how we're gonna do this. (laughs) But praise be to God, because He's the God of immeasurably more than we hope or imagine. And He's the God who's gonna bring the increase and He's the God who can part the waters and not just part the waters, it says dry ground. Dry ground. Do you understand? Have you ever been on a riverbed? Ever been walking where it's kind of dry, but it's like your mud goes up to your knees. You can't have a a beautiful 90-year-old grandfather walking for a kilometre and a half in mud up to his knees. God, he goes all the way past the waters and goes, now I'm going to make it dry. So you can walk on through. That's the God of immeasurably more. That's the God we serve and we're gonna have long vision, amen? Number two, the second thing that He calls us to is clean clothes. Long vision, clean clothes. Verse five, Joshua told the people, consecrate, everyone say yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Oh, we all wanna see that God do amazing things among me, but no one wants to consecrate themselves. Notice it says, consecrate yourselves. It doesn't say, I'll consecrate you and then do great things. He says, consecrate yourselves. You go, Dave, it's old covenant, new covenant, we're under the blood of Jesus. Amen. Absolutely. We are in Christ. He is the only one who can wash us clean. And yet that call to holiness is all through the New Testament. In view of His mercy, so in view of all that He has done, offer your bodies. Another way of saying that in view of His mercy, in view of His his glory and His sacrifice, now consecrate yourselves before the Lord. 
Consecrate literally means in that context, clean clothes. It's actually what it means. It's ceremonial washings. It means to go and go through this process of, of physically removing dirt from your physical body and from the clothes that you are wearing as a symbol of the holiness that God is then doing in you. Being set apart. Laying aside the things of this world and fixing your eyes again on me. Set yourself apart for me. Be found in me. And here's, I said to Joe as I was, preparing this, I was like, babe, I need to buy a white jumper for this sermon. She's like, you don't need to buy a white jumper for the sermon. But we've been chatting about this and I'm thinking about what's a good illustration. Now think, who's, like when you've got a a dark clothes on and you've got a bolognese in front of you. We joke about when our kids start having girlfriends and boyfriends, the first meal we're going to have is sloppy tacos just to see how they handle it. When you've got a dark jumper, do you care about being careful with the way that you eat? Some, some of you are like, yes, I do, David. <laughs> I'm always careful. I don't. I'll just hook it down. But if i got a new white top on, I'm leaning over, chins out. Very, very careful because I don't, I don't want, firstly, a spill and I don't want splash. I don't want anything to potentially get from there to here. When my children are crying, if I'm in a dark top, hey, just come in, I'll give you a cuddle. (laughs) Don't judge me, you know you've done it. (laughs) When I've got my brand new white jumper on and my white t-shirt and what happens? Oh, they're there. (laughs) You're okay. (laughs) Just don't touch me with that face, please because I really don't want your snot and your dribble and all the gross on my brand new jumper because then I have to clean. I think that's a picture. Like Christ cleans us. He washes us in His blood. He makes us new. And then He's like, it, it then impacts the way that we live though, doesn't it? When we understand what He has done and how we've been washed and that He has set us apart for Himself, that He has made us holy. He says, be holy for I am holy. He's like, Here's your white garment. And all through the New Testament, it's like, there's gonna be a white garment, a white robe. This is what I'm giving you. But it's this call to then say, so protect it. Just be a little bit careful with how you go about things. And if you make a mistake, that's okay. I can wash you. You come to me, I'll wash you, I'll cover you. But be careful, live differently. And this is the call to the church. This is the call to Israel. This is what God is calling us to be. So I've given you a white jumper, clean clothes, Now walk in the cleanliness that I've given you. Be set apart, walk in holiness. Tomorrow I'm gonna do amazing things among you. Do you believe God can still do amazing things? When I look around here, I see the very beginning of a work that God is doing just a scratch on the surface of something that is gonna change the world in which we live. And it's not by might and it's not by power, it's by His Spirit. We're not gonna look back and go, look what we did. Uh Uh-uh. I think I I told some of you, I was at this senior pastors conference a couple of weeks ago and we're talking church planning and I was up on on the stage in a panel about church planning. And I was just laughing to myself thinking, 
you guys are all firstly in your 50s and you're all leading churches of 5,000. And here I am been in this role for five minutes and they're all giving their strategies. And I say, I'm said, look, I'm gonna be totally honest with you. We did everything wrong. Like you've all got fantastic strategies. I love the way that you're going about it. We did everything wrong, but what we did do is we prayed and we obeyed and God breathed on it. And that's what we've got to do. And yes, we've got to build strategy and we've got to put things in place. That's important. Otherwise, that's, you know, we've got to be wise stewards with what God has done. But we never, ever, ever have a strategy before we pursue sanctity. It's always that the strategy is in obedience and response to what God has done. That's the New Testament. The strategy was sit in an upper room, wait and I'll breathe, go and preach, I'll do all this work and then figure out how to care for the widows and figure out how to like do this thing. But the strategy follows the breath of God. The breath of God doesn't fill our strategy. And we've got to pursue the heart of God. We've got to consecrate ourselves and let God move and then obey in response to all that He is doing. Amen? Yep. I've got a bunch of Scriptures on clean clothes, but we've got to keep moving. No, actually, an important one I feel like we've got to go to. Let's go to Revelation 3. This landed on my heart this week and I felt I better share it. Revelation 3, to the church in Sardis. Let's check our spirits and our souls against this. These are the words of Him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. You've received this, remember it, hold fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white and I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of of life. May we not be so consumed tending our own little tent that we forget the one who parts the waters. Number three, keep reading, back to Joshua. So we got long vision, he's calling us to have long vision. He's calling us to have clean clothes, the gift that He has given us, but we continue to walk in reverence, in response to that gift. And the third thing He's calling us to have is wet feet. Everyone say wet feet. Verse six, Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I'll begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Now again, Joshua is a new covenant type and Moses is an old covenant type. The new covenant type, I know so we're almost there. We're almost there, this is important, lean in. Joshua, 
the new covenant type speaks to what we know today about the nature of the church. You see, the people of Israel, there was the priests who carried the presence of God and went and got their feet wet. And all of Israel then followed suit. But in the church, Christ is our royal priest, our high priest, and in Him, when we die to self and we are in Him through His Spirit, we have become a what? A royal priesthood. When the Spirit of God came in Acts 2 on the church and is still moving in the church today, each and every one of you became a priest in the Kingdom of God which means each and every one of you have a mandate to carry the presence of God where we go, which means each and every one of us have a call to walk up to our Jordan rivers and to say, you might be big, strong and insurmountable, but I serve the living God. And greater is He who's living in me than he that is in the world. So I will take a step of faith. And I will choose to get my feet wet and go and stand and confront this Jordan River and say, I can't make you part, but the God who indwells His people can. And if He's calling me to be obedient, if He's calling me to take a step, then I will choose to walk in faith, not fear. We are called to have wet feet. And here's the thing about wet feet. Child, children get wet feet all the time. The same is true for young Christians, childlike faith. When we see someone who's just come to know the Lord, they're like, man, Jesus is awesome. They are much more prone to wet feet than someone who's been around the church for a long, long, long time. Anyone go to the beach in winter with their children? You go to the beach in winter with your children, the first thing you say is don't go in the water. Within five seconds, what's happened? I didn't go in the water, Dad. Why are your feet wet? Because they're fearless. Let us not grow weary in doing good. Let us not become so consumed with just the day-to-day and the religiosity and the stuff that we know that we lose sight of the wonder of the God who splits the sea, that we lose sight of the wonder of the God who parts the waters and makes our path straight. Let us not become a people who's just stand back and say, that's your job, Dave, you go and do that. Ah, 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 ah. My job is to stand up here and encourage you and to, yes, to proclaim the Word of God to you and to say, yeah, come on, the water's good, but you have to take a step in your own life, in your own business, in your own family. And in this house, we all, every single one of us are the priesthood of believers. Every Every single one of us have that call of God to say, come and get your feet wet. I don't know what that looks like for you this morning. I don't know where you're you're at right now. What is the giant that you're facing? What is the Jordan for you this morning? The insurmountable thing, what is it? And how is God encouraging you right here, right now to say the time has come. Long vision, clean clothes, wet feet. Come and get your feet wet. I felt this so strong all week that there are people here who you're standing nervously and you're like, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. I feel like God says this morning that the word that I had to bring was, no, you can't. Yes, He can. 
No, you can't. Amen. But yes, He can. And if He is calling, obey. If He is calling, if it's not Him, don't be dumb. The Jordan will wash you away. But if He is calling, come and get your feet wet. The time has come. Childlike faith, return to that childlike faith. Believe for big things. Take a risk and know that it's with the wet feet, the feet. We step, God does the miracle. I don't know about you, my prayer over and over again in my life has been, Lord, Lord, do the miracle. And I'll just chill here while you do it and then I'll just happily walk into it. I've been so convicted by this that the time has come to say, stop, that's not how God works. He says, no, no, you step and then I'll cover. You step, I'll provide. You step, I'll do the work. Wet feet. Can we be a people with wet feet? Can we be a people with wet feet? Long vision, clean clothes, wet feet. And we will see the Lord do amazing things in our day. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet, church. Here's a promise. Here's a promise to the people of God. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps His covenant of loving devotion for a thousand generations for those who love Him and keep His commandments. I believe in a God who can part the waters. I believe in a God who is able, who is able and I believe that He is living and He is active and He sees you, He sees your circumstance, He sees your Jordan and He's inviting you today to what? To long vision, to clean clothes and to wet feet. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You that You are good. We worship You. Father, we thank You for those 12 stones in in Gilgal, We thank You that they point us to the promise of a miracle-working, promise-keeping God. We worship You, Lord. And I pray over my brothers and sisters today. I pray over this priesthood of, of all believers for inspiration, But more than inspiration, Lord, I pray for impartation. Fill your people with your Spirit that we might be, as you called Joshua, strong and courageous. Strong and courageous, knowing that you are with us to the very end of the age. What confidence that gives us, what hope we have in you, Lord Jesus. We thank You, Lord. And all God's children said, Amen. I feel like praying for some people. We've got our prayer team. So as we sing this next couple of songs, uh, if you would like prayer, please come and receive prayer. We'll have some team down here, down there. We've got some team at the back down there. We would love to pray with you, to encourage you, uh, and just to dream and believe with you. I feel like there's people who are, they need someone to believe with them. Anyone here? I feel like there's people who need someone to believe with them. You're like, man, I'm going through this, but I'm, I'm, on, I'm struggling. 
Let's come and encourage one another and believe together. Amen? 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 Come on, let's do it. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.